You're listening to World of Empowerment Radio. Your station for practical spirituality in a changing world. And here are your hosts, Angel Rose and Ahanu. You are very welcome. I am Ahanu. And Angel Rose is not with us today, but she is in the audience. We have an audience today, believe it or not. I'm here. But we do have a very special guest and friend, Mark Salawi. And he is operating a business called Wellness Haven. And he operates a website called wellnesshaven.com based in Bosey, Idaho. And today we're going to talk about the link between unresolved emotional trauma and chronic degenerative diseases. And we want to know what is it that we are doing to ourselves to cause all this. But first, I want to give a little bit of a background about Mark because he's a very humble man and he, he doesn't like to talk too much about himself, but he'll talk forever about helping people with cancer. So Mark's as a business executive in a multinational company like uh, Disney. You actually worked for Hilton as well, mm-hmm. didn't you? Yeah, Correct. And worked in Switzerland, in Russia, in France, England, Sweden, Denmark and Belgium. And he's a Harvard MBA and he believed that he would continue his climb up the corporate ladder, ultimately becoming CEO of a large international firm. But in 2011, the universe gifted Mark a wonderful relationship with a lady called Helen Jane. She was an English woman who Mark met while they were both living outside of Paris. And shortly after meeting, Helen Jane was diagnosed with stage two breast cancer. And Mark accompanied Helen Jane in her cancer journey. By April 2013, though, after having gone through conventional treatment, Helen Jane was pronounced terminal and told to get her affairs in order. I would not like to get a kind of a statement like that from anybody. But this is when Mark and Helen Jane discovered the Kelly Protocol. And that's a protocol that we want to spend a little bit of time talking about today, which involves the use of pancreatic enzymes for the treatment of cancer. Well, Helen Jane was literally snatched away from the jaws of death at that time. But unfortunately, she felt so good on the program that Helen Jane became non-compliant and developed metastases. Is that what you call it? Metastases. Metastases that led to her transition in January 2015. And since then, Mark founded Wellness Haven, a venture dedicated to helping people with degenerative disease and especially helps them navigate the tricky waters of choice and hopefully harness the healing powers that come from within. Now, we want to know from you, Mark, like, give us that, that background. What, because you're a, a, an MBA, you're a business executive, mm-hmm. and that's an enormous kind of a switch over to being a wellness guru now. Yes, well, f- first of all, Anna and Angel Rose, thanks so much for inviting me on your program I have been a huge fan of yours for actually quite a few years, and I feel to mention probably just a fraction of the inspiration I got from the two of you. So, thank you, so thank you for that. Uh, yes, it's uh, it is a bit of a shift for sure uh, between this executive and a wellness coach. I had the fortune of coming from a background where everyone in my family was a doctor. So both my parents were physicians. My father happened to be an oncologist. 
specializing in lung cancer. My mother was an endocrinologist, immunologist. My sister's, uh, my only twin sister is a doctor. Her husband's a doctor. Oh, gosh, my I, father's I, only sister well, was a doctor. A background His have. mother was a doctor. And so let's just say that healing, the idea of healing was imprinted early on because that's all I knew. Great. And I was actually broke the mold, if you will, by pursuing a career in business as opposed to medicine. Okay. okay. Uh, and it was the universe conspiring by presenting me with Helen Jane. So that's that shift had happened. Right. And also when she was diagnosed um, back in February of 2011 with her cancer, I happened to be in between jobs. That was oh, another okay. conspiring uh, yes, yes. serendipitous uh, uh, opportunity that the universe but provided. Let so, me stop you just there for a mm -hmm. second because many people in our audience would know that in my case, when my first baby died, that that was a catalyst to get me looking at my spiritual self. Yes. And I couldn't see it at the time. Mm -hmm. But in hindsight, I was able to say, I'm so grateful for that for that event to have happened. Yes. As traumatic as it was. Mm -hmm. And Angel Rose often speaks, too, about relationships that she had where one partner committed suicide and so on. But these while there are desperate, traumatic instances to happen in somebody's life, they can very often be the very circumstance that puts you on the right path, as it were. So that's exactly what happened to you with Helen Jane. Absolutely, it's what happened. And in fact, I believe that it's one we discuss later. It's one of the factors between those people who actually thrive on the back of having cancer and those who do not thrive right. or even survive. Yes. It's that critical ability to stare in the face uh, the disease that would is, is of all chronic degenerative and that's most closely synonymous with a death sentence. Right. If you say I've got high blood pressure, hypertension, I've got even Alzheimer's or I've got uh, uh, diabetes, uh, et cetera, et cetera, none of them come close to cancer that C word, as people refer to it, as, yes. as that death sentence. And so those individuals who, uh, as we did in our relationships, understand that, oh my goodness, actually cancer is here to mm. give me a lesson. Right. And when I can embrace it, the universe has to offer me. Then in actual fact, uh, some of the purpose of cancer can disappear as well as the physical manifestation of the disease so itself. So when, when Helen Jane was diagnosed with cancer, mm -hmm. did you find yourself drawing on your family's history of being in medicine then or was it you from that moment on? No, it was more of a whole new experience because my family's history of medicine largely involved People, my father did invite some patients home. He did become friends with them. But, you know, it was more or less at an arm's length. I never had experienced such, uh, such a malady so close up and personal right. as with a woman, contextually speaking, who I was only dating at that time for several months. We were in that heady new phase of the relationship. Right. And, and just when things seemed to be falling into place, we're in the middle of a ski holiday in a, in a resort called Oron, north of Nice in France. The phone call comes and appears. And although, of course, we suspected because I had found a lump and she had the biopsy, she had the tests, there's nothing like having the news in sure. that particular environment, yes. which was a shocker. So it wasn't, I couldn't draw on experience yeah. from my family's background. Yeah. And so that's how you, you switched into becoming a wellness coach. So was it because she had cancer that you focused on cancer? Give yes. us an idea of how that happened. Yes, absolutely. I had no 
desire at that time to make a shift from my busy corporate executive background. I was living in Europe. There were the trappings of, let's call it wealth and power. And although I had always been interested in health and because I faced my own, I knew much of what there was when it comes to lifestyle choices that support health and deal with chronic degenerative diseases, especially those associated with inflammation. I never actually endeavored to go out and talk about it, share that knowledge. It was mainly for me and keeping myself healthy. So for Helen Jane and her diagnosis, it was an opportunity to really dive in. Mm. She knew already at that time There was no question that we would go the allopathic route, which involves chemotherapy, radiotherapy, and surgery. She already knew at that time that the chemotherapy would result in cognitive impairment, what they call chemo brain, where she couldn't think. And so the way she actually asked me to accompany on her journey, she said, Mark, uh, I uh, I need your brains to accompany me with all of the visits that we have, with all of the doctors, et cetera, et cetera, because I'm... I'm I'm afraid from the fear factor, and I also might wow. do. That was very wise of her, really, wasn't mm. it? Mm. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. And were you aware at that point in time? Okay, you you were facing, you were staring cancer in the face with your your partner, but were you aware of the bigger incidences of cancer worldwide? Like, were you aware of the scope of this disease, or what was even causing it? I was aware that. It was already known to be the number two killer in the world after cardiac disease. I was aware of the trajectory in terms of the ever-increasing and relentless increasing degree of cancer. I was somewhat aware of the fact that the treatment protocol shifted too much since the 1970s and that the death rate commensurately didn't shift too much. On a personal level, Helen Jane was certainly, in terms of my intimate relationships, the only person that I had a relationship with who had cancer. I had experienced the personal loss of cancer. My uncle died of lymphoma. My father's cousin died of cancer. So there was some cancer in the family that that brought the experience home prior to Helen Jane being diagnosed. So I had enough experience to know it was a bad disease. (laughs) And did you have enough information at that point in time? We're we're talking about 2013. 2011. 2011. Mm -hmm. Uh, Did you know enough about alternative medicines at that time to be able to be the brains for her? Not at all. To steer her? Not at all. Right. My father as an oncologist was strictly allopathic and he actually developed certain chemotherapeutic regimes and chemotherapeutic agents to treat lung cancer, which are still in place today. So so all I knew was conventional medicine and the treatment of cancer. I had no idea of the link between, say, for example, unresolved emotional trauma and cancer, the various other protocols that were out there. Yes, I knew that some of them existed. Uh, Laetril, for example, it's a form of B17 from the apricot kernel but that was largely debunked. As my father explained to me, he grew up in Germany where mistletoe still to this day is used as a Mm non-traditional treatment protocol. And again, he debunked that firmly. So all I knew at that time and all I assumed she would be doing that conveyor belt of conventional medicine. 
So give us the transition then of how you moved to be aware of the potential of alternative therapies. Doing research, and it actually was stimulated largely by the advice of my sister, because when I called my sister, who's who's a practitioner family medicine, the very first thing that Luba, my sister, had told me when I told her that Helen Jane has cancer was, Mark, make sure she avoids sugar. Now, if she had told me, Mark, make sure that you, I don't know, load up on vitamins to help deal with the with the toxic uh, effect of chemotherapy, right. or make sure that she has this particular scan, mm. or make sure that she goes under the knife as soon as possible. Right. These are all things I would have expected from yes, her. Yes. But when Luba said, make sure Helen Jane quits the sugar, that was that was like a non-standard uh, oh, totally. medical advice. And I was like, Luba, yeah. What does, it seems naive in retrospect, but yeah. my answer, yeah. Luba, what does sugar have to do with cancer? And as it turns out, everything. Wow. So I started studying the effect of sugar on cancer first. Yes. And as so many rabbit holes lead to others, yes. it was yeah. all these factors. I, I began to understand that what she actually meant in different words was Mark, focus on the root cause behind the disease and not necessarily symptoms. Okay. And there's so many root causes behind that. Right. Now, can you... Like we wanted to talk also about the effect of trauma. Mm -hmm. So was there some connection in Helen Jane's case with with um, emotional trauma or was it sugar from diet or what was the connection there? That's a very good question. I find typically with my clients who I coach in cancer that it's a multifactorial disease. And very seldom can you isolate one specific factor. I think maybe smoking and lung cancer would be the exception, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely, the vast majority of people with lung cancer do have a smoking history. There's a strong association with that. Mm. But for your other cancers, um, well, maybe kidney cancer or bladder cancer with exposure to certain pesticides and toxins, mesothelioma with exposure to asbestos. But let's put these exceptions aside. Uh, in Helen Jane's case, it was breast cancer. It was in her right breast. It was two nodes that they initially found. And um, uh, I had not known the number of factors that could be there. Emotional trauma is clearly one of those that we tried to address, one of those that we established early on because she was going through a very messy divorce with a husband who was physically abusive to her, had a history of physical abuse to her, and had allegedly sexually abused her children. Oh, gosh. And as it turns out that when I began to do research into the link between specific cancers and their connections to emotions... Breast cancer, more, more, more often than not, in terms of the emotional trauma component, is nest. It's the trauma of the disruption of the nest. I have a trauma of the nest vis-a-vis -vis her, her, her intimate partner who was abusing her. She also had the trauma of the nest with her children. And uh, I would say in retrospect at the time, we didn't know, but, but in retrospect, that was the one factor that we weren't able to address and unfortunately, probably was a contributing factor to her ultimate transition. Oh, gosh. That's how strongly I think the emotional connection is. Angel Rose, do you have anything to say about that? Well, it makes perfect sense to me, uh, because, you know, as you know, uh, that particular area of the body is where mothers in particular hold 
a lot of their emotion about their children and their families. So whatever happens um, in that family unit does affect that part of the body. That part and the reproductive part, I'd say, are mm -hmm. the two areas in women where they get hit, let's just say, um, when something goes on with their children or their families or themselves as a woman. If, if that feminine um, relationship is damaged somewhere, it could be with a parent too. You know, yes. It could be right. that damage could start from one or both parents right. of how a woman feels about her femininity and about herself. And Do you think that's some, an area that a lot of people may not be willing to go? You know, when, when you start talking about your relationships or when you start talking about a possible traumatic cause to a disease, do you think most people are willing or unwilling to look at that? Well, the very the very phrase unresolved emotional trauma is a factor. Remember, we didn't say emotional trauma is a factor behind disease. It's the unresolved, unresolved emotional trauma. That's the factor in disease. Right, right. And it's almost a given that if it remains unresolved, that person has either been unwilling or unsuccessful in resolving the energy associated with that trauma, which is still lodged in the body, mm. in that organ, which is most resonant or compatible with the nature of that trauma. Yes, yes, yes. And yes, uh, for many people facing that trauma in order to resolve it, is a very, very painful process. Right. I mean, consider yeah. the 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 process that you went through with, with the loss of your son. We go through these phases. Denial is, is yes, absolutely indeed. one of them. And yes. sometimes we don't want to go back to that space mm -hmm. and relive. Oftentimes we relive the trauma when we actually address it, yeah. right? So yeah. a lot of my time was spent, and we'll discuss at, at some point in time, what modalities are available, but it's sometimes very difficult to actually address and resolve that trauma without revisiting it and sometimes re-triggering it. So we right. viscerally, particularly in the West too, yes. we viscerally want to avoid any pain, physical, yeah. psychological, emotional. It's just a yeah. no-go zone. Better bury it, stiff upper lip, pretend it never happened, yes. move on, don't show our emotions, just Get on with life. And that is a that. very, very bad yeah. way to deal with trauma. Yes. And that, as I have mentioned many times when I speak about the death of my own son, because I'm a man and I found that a lot of men were very afraid of emotions. Mm -hmm. And I know because I was afraid to cry. I'd, and when 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 the tears came involuntarily to cope, mm. but also great pain in the world was men's inability to cry. Yes. Because women can do it a lot easier. It's, it's, it's an emotional release. Mm -hmm. But men just do not know how to do that. But I mentioned at the introduction that Mark spent a lot of time in Europe, uh, but originally was born in the United States. Now, there's a huge difference between the approach to medicine in Europe and in the United States. And in particular, I know from uh, my own upbringing in Holy Catholic Ireland, I'll throw that in there as a little dig, <laughs> But the fact that homeopathy is much more accepted, in fact, the Queen of England has her own private home homeopath and it's been accepted in the royal households going back a few hundred years, but not so in the United States. So do you think that when you talk about, you know, tackling this issue of cancer, is the, in the United States, are people more open to accepting 
the possibility of alternative treatments. People tend to toe the line with what is published in medical literature, which largely reflects in terms of studies that are available, peer-reviewed studies, which largely uh, uh, reflects what is found in the peer-reviewed studies, which in turn requires significant funding resources in order to, to gain access and knowledge too. So unfortunately, the whole space of alternative medicine is suppressed, some would say intentionally, because imagine you can come across an intervention that would be completely natural, non-patentable, that would cost cents per day to administer, as opposed to using these chemotherapeutic drugs, which in essence amount to an $80 billion a year industry, right? right. So whether or not it's suppressed intentionally, I'm not going to speculate, but I would say of general public knowledge, and to a large extent vis-a-vis -vis cancer, this extends to Europe, the, the, the queen has her homeopathist to support her general health. But believe me, England as a country and Australia uh, are very much in the same exact groove and limitations when it comes to access to non-conventional treatment as what you have in the States. There's right. very little difference. Sure, we've seen it ourselves. So, in fact, where there's been various attempts throughout the kingdom to close what were formerly regarded as homeopathic hospitals. That's right. Yeah. And even in England, they began to regulate to vitamins. So the highest dose, and I, you notice I said vitamin as opposed to vitamin, the highest dose <laughs> bring vitamin C, accent with there it. you go. The highest dose vitamin C that you can get in, 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 uh, in England now is 500 milligrams, right? Uh, so there's more and more, it, it's, it's a bit contradictory. So it really depends where in Europe. Right. In Switzerland, in Germany, in Holland, there are actual centers that that in that allow the for the treatment of cancer without the use of what in the United States is called standard of care. In other words, um, the use of uh, chemotherapy, radiotherapy, or surgery. Right? Mm. If you were to have such a clinic in the United States that would treat cancer without one of those three, then it then on and the people sent to jail, which is why so many of these clinics that, that started by with American physicians ended up crossing the border into Mexico where they can practice that. Right. Yeah. In yeah. Germany and in Switzerland, there are clinics that do not have chemotherapy, radiotherapy, or surgery. So how do you manage then? Give us an idea of what you offer from your clinic in Boise, Idaho. Well, I, first of all, I don't have a clinic. Secondly, I coach individuals and I make it quite clear to them that what I am doing is imparting knowledge. I am not treating people with cancer. And I'm absolutely not treating. I am giving them information on lifestyle choices that they can make to empower themselves. And with the use of the Quest machine to provide scans that, that provide uh, frequencies that help balance imbalances in the system. But ultimately, right. both approaches are all about healing, uh, harnessing the healing power of the individual through knowledge and or through use of, of uh, specific frequencies. I am absolutely not treating individuals. Okay. Now, I'm glad you clarified that. Mm -hmm. And in a program like this, it's really impossible to cover all the nuances of 
the medical treatment or the alternative treatment of any of these diseases. But can you give us and our listeners and our viewers an idea of what that is or what it does or what it can offer to somebody who maybe comes to you with a diagnosis of cancer? Yes. Well, this is this is used not only for cancer. The majority of my clients with the Quest machine are actually individuals who suffer from all manner of chronic degenerative disorders, sometimes neurological, sometimes specific allergies, skin conditions, eczema, sometimes depression, sometimes um, it's it's across the spectrum. And the beauty of this machine is that uh, it combines the ancient science of Chinese traditional medicine, which is established 5,000 years, empirical evidence and experience in terms of clinical outcomes, mm-hmm. understanding that we have a system of energy channels in our body called meridians. The seven chakras are the ones that are, are best known. And each meridian in turn has a corresponding link with a system in the body. It could be musculoskeletal, it could be the nervous system, In fact, meridians that are imbalanced, certain imbalances may be associated with certain emotions, back to this emotional trauma, so the identification of the emotions. The meridian imbalances could be associated with vitamin and or mineral and or amino acid or enzyme deficiencies very specifically. So quite simply, what this machine does is to use an electrical current to to treat the meridian as a circuit. And if it is established in the system, it is able to score that imbalance, what the nature of that imbalance is, and oftentimes from a frequency perspective and or an intervention perspective that people can take orally, what what vitamin and or frequency is necessary to balance the meridian. Because in the broad field of energy medicine, everything, all information is nothing more than energy or frequencies. And is that machine something that an individual can buy and use in their own home? Or is it something that they must attend your clinic or your 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 personal place to to use it? Well, it's a rather expensive machine. And frankly speaking, it requires training in order to use properly. Okay. So I've had training sessions that I attended. I continue my training on a day-to-day basis. That's not to say from a pure cost perspective, somebody couldn't afford to buy it. It's right. like buying an but automobile. But it is something that somebody would consult you about and you would do this various tests using this machine. Oh, for sure. Yes. Right, right. Now, to come a little bit full circle with this, were you, you, you were obviously not aware of this machine when Helen Jane was ill at the That's time. correct. Right. Do you, do you have any kind of regrets about that, that maybe you could have had? <laughs> No, I have no regrets about the entire journey. Because let's just say that we did everything right, then my purpose would have been fulfilled and I wouldn't be where I am today trying to help people as much as I try to help people make the right choices. My journey involved understanding the wrong choices we made as well. And unless we made those wrong choices, and frankly speaking, unless she ultimately passed, then I may not be doing what I'm doing today. Right. That makes sense. That makes sense. Okay. Angel Rose has a question before we come to a close today. Yeah, I would like to know, Mark, um, in terms of, you know, when I read your story and I read about uh, Helen Jane, and I'm glad you clarified the bigger picture in terms of how we can arrive at particular places in our lives. Like if she didn't die, you wouldn't be here. 
read that and, and you know, read, so wanted just be cured of cancer. And when you said oh, she was doing marvelously well with the enzymatic therapy and you know, the protocol, and then you hear that she ultimately died, you know, part of your heart goes drops. Yes. You know, when you will, okay, well, if she was doing so well, why did she die? Okay, so could you go back to that just a little bit? Because I think if I could be kind of let down by it, other people could be too. And we do need hope about this right. sinister disease. Good question, yeah. Yes. So, so could mm. you go back there a little mm. bit? Well, that therapy that you were known with a modified Kelly protocol mm -hmm. is something that was discovered actually way back in the early 1900s where the use of pancreatic enzymes are able to lyse or break down the cancer cell membranes and leave normal membranes intact. These are enzymes such as trypsin, chymotrypsin, etc. And uh, William Donald Kelly was a practitioner of this protocol when he was himself diagnosed in the late 60s or early 70s with stage four inoperable pancreatic cancer and told to go home and get his affairs in order. He had eight children, tough nut in Texas, and said, I ain't going nowhere. And so he immersed himself in a medical library looking at all interventions and stumbled across one of the only manuscripts still surviving that described this particular protocol. He used it on himself of his stage four pancreatic cancer and then proceeded to do the same for thousands of people. The only known cures, if you will, of people 23, 24, 25 years out after having stage four biopsy proven, Mayo Clinic biopsy proven, in fact, stage four, uh, still walking around alive today, Gosh. used his protocol. So let's just say from a clinical outcome perspective, because there were no peer review studies that were actually done on this. There was one that was a, a NIH study that, that was being undertaken uh, by a certain Dr. Nicholas Gonzalez, who unfortunately passed two years ago. He set up a clinic using this together with his wife. So Helen Jane went through the same protocol. She did have, and, and she, she did this in April of 2013 when she was pronounced terminal by conventional medicine, get your affairs in order. And that's when we started it on her and she had a miraculous turnaround. In order to succeed in any protocol, one needs to be compliant to it. And it sounds wonderful that she had the turnaround. You have to understand that when she was 13, she had, kexic is the term, she had advanced ascites from the cancer in her liver, which based in a fluid, which you have an advanced liver cancer. She looked pregnant. She had no appetite. Her skin color, was, she had, she, she was almost a walking skeleton. And uh, when she started to feel better, boy, did that appetite come back in with a vengeance. And oh. she just ate whatever it is that she could put in her mouth, including things that one shouldn't put in your mouth. Like Back sugar. to my sister's statement. Sugar, exactly. Oh, dear. And she felt so good that she thought, well, uh, this protocol is no longer necessary. And it's a bit cumbersome because it requires taking up to 70 enzymes alone mm. and then the supplements on top of that. So she just came to the point where she said, I'm taking pills. I'm done following the strict diet. I feel fine. And and uh, I would question her. Well, what's your plan B? I mean, right. what happens if the cancer comes back again? Is are you sure this is worth it? And all the while, not cracking that tough nut of her unresolved emotional trauma. Go so far as to say, yeah. I predicted it, right? Uh, of course, I didn't hope the ultimate death, 
but I'm not surprised by, by what happened. And the answer to your question for those hopefuls out there, you know, is this a death sentence if I use the Kelly protocol? Absolutely not. But as with any intervention, I don't care what it is, chemotherapy, radiotherapy, mm-hmm. surgery, you need to be compliant. You need to, yeah. you need to embrace it. You need to follow the protocol yeah. because then its chances of succeeding are much lower. Right. Well, yes, and thank you indeed, Mark, for coming in and talking to us today because that has been very, very enlightening. Before we go, I would like you to give out your contact details about Wellness Haven and how people can get in touch with you. Right. If anyone wants to get in touch with me, they can visit my site and hit the contact at wellness-haven.com or they can send me an email at mark at wellness-haven.com. Those are probably the best places to reach me. I also have a Facebook page, a LinkedIn page. So many. And will they find you on Facebook under your personal name or under the Wellness Haven? I have a Wellness Haven group page. It's important when you type in Wellness Haven to have that dash. Wellness Wellness dash Haven. Haven. Yeah. Okay, super. Well, thank you for being with us. I am Ahanu and Angel Rose says goodbye until the next time. And all Mark's contact details will be below. We look forward to speaking to you again soon. Bye-bye. You have been listening to Angel Rose and Ahanu on World of Empowerment Radio, your station for practical spirituality in a changing world.